to First Peter. We have a few more messages from this book before we uh, move on to the next thing that uh, we're going to go into. Now, I should say something about that. So what has been on my mind with First Peter chapter 5, what's been on my mind uh, about what we're going to do after this book, I was... Um, this comes from something that, that Sean Sowers talked to me about um, oh, months ago now when he said, well, you know, why don't you do in sermon form some of the teaching on the covenants that you did, um, you, you know, some years ago at the church? And I, was, I wasn't thinking that I wanted to do that right now, but that has come back to my mind. And so I thought if I, if I do that, if I take that and put it into sermon form, obviously I won't be able to put the depth in and it won't be as many lessons as, as uh, the actual course was. <clears throat> but what it will allow me to do is it, it will allow me to go through the whole Bible. And I think that is a, a really important thing to do. I really wanted to go into the Old Testament and spend some time there, and I was thinking about going through the book of Exodus. But uh, then, uh, like I said, this came to mind. And I think this will be a, a, a better way to do it, so that we travel through the whole Bible, and I give you the, you know, the main incidents and... The, basically the, co- the covenant storyline of the whole Bible gives you an idea of what the Bible's about from beginning to end. So if you can uh, pray about that, that will be coming up in a few weeks' time. And I think I'm going to entitle the series The Oaths of God to um, basically remind us that God has taken oaths to do good to us. He's committed himself to do good to us. And I think that's really important that we understand that that God is like that. He's as good as his word. So, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7 this morning. And the apostle says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, some of you are familiar, of course, with verse 7, and so you should be. It is a a great passage of comfort for all of God's people. But it it belongs in this context, this context of humility, this choice that we have to either follow our natural human pride or to lower ourselves in the sight of of God and of others. 
Humility is perhaps the most important spiritual character trait that a Christian can have. And of course, because it's the most important, it's also the most difficult. It's the one that seems to go very much against uh, the way of the world and the messages that we hear from the world, which tell us to exalt ourselves, which tell us to put ourselves forward and promote ourselves. And uh, even in, in American culture generally, there is that general culture of self-promotion uh, in American culture, which I don't know whether you're aware of it or not, being in the culture, but it is something that comes up with the rest of the world. The rest of the world does point that out, that uh, Americans are kind of like that. And it's not your fault. It's, it's, it's the culture that you, you come up in. But we need to be governed by what the Bible tells us to be. And, you know, whether we have a culture that promotes self and, you know, putting yourself forward and so on, uh, or whether we have a, a culture that says, you know, be quiet and be reserved, which is more of the British way of doing things, pride is still resident in both cultures and in both the, the hearts of both people, whether they be from the U.S. or whether they be from the U.K. or wherever they come from. Pride is still an issue. What is Pride. Well, pride is many things, but it's basically eye trouble. Eye trouble. I, 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 I. Okay? Putting yourself at, in the middle. Putting yourself as the most important person. The one who is impacted and therefore the one who uh, must respond and interpret things based on you. And based how things impact you. And so the way that you look upon life, the way you look upon others, the way you look upon God, the way you look upon church, the way you look upon society, the way you look upon your future is from the situation of I. How does it affect me? Now, with uh, a lot of people, they think, well, pride being that kind of uh, trouble is self-promotion and also somewhat arrogance and conceit. Yes? Where a person thinks too much of themselves. A person therefore exalts themselves. They push themselves up. And of course you would be correct that that is the main, uh, the main, um, meaning of the word. Hubris. But it can also show itself in another form. This other form is I trouble that says I am not good enough. I am, can't do this. I can't cope. I, 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 I. Depressive, depressed people often have I trouble, but they don't recognize it as being pride because they're not exalting themselves. You see, they're not telling themselves how wonderful they are. Rather, they're telling themselves that they're not very wonderful. Do you see? But that is another form of pride. Because 
it's still putting yourself in the center of things. Now, you say, well, how, how dare you say something like that? What if there is a depressed person here? This is the best thing I can say to you. And, by the way, I have a right, I think, to say that because I spent uh, many years from my early teens right the way through to my late 20s depressed, seriously depressed. So I understand depression very well. And I can tell you, unless there is some kind of physiological issue, of course, some chemical issue, because that can lead to, to uh, depression, but for many people who have depression, the problem is eye trouble. You interpret everything according to you. I feel this. I'm not good enough for this. Why does this always happen to me? You see what I'm saying? So pride afflicts all of us. Sometimes pride is so deceptive that we think it's humility. Because it, it can speak as if one is humble. Oh, I couldn't possibly. When really what you're trying to say is that, yes, I would love to do that, you know. But you're try- it's kind of a faux um, approach to humility. What therefore is humility? Humility is a deliberate lowering yourself. It's a deliberate putting others before yourself. It's deliberately putting God first so that the interpretation of you and your life doesn't start from you. You're off to the side. God is in the middle. You interpret things from God. So because you do that, you're not always talking about I, 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 I. Do you see? Because only a person who is putting themselves in the center of things talks like that. Of course, I'm not talking about a conversation where someone's talking about themselves and their experiences. They have to use the personal pronoun. But I'm talking about a person who is always talking about themselves and interpreting what everyone does from themselves. When God is first, then there is a lowering of yourself because you accept your lot. You accept that God is sovereign. You accept that you have a responsibility to respond and to act in a certain way. But of course, when it comes to the Bible and what God says, he doesn't just say to put himself first, does he? He tells us to put other people in front of ourselves too. So we, we're somewhere over here. Do you see? We have to put ourselves not even fir- not first, not second, but third. And that's hard to do. It's certainly hard to do in the moment. So this is a very important uh, doctrine and perhaps the most difficult thing for a Christian to do. Let's have a look, therefore, at what Peter tells us here. He basically confronts us with this question which is an everyday question, pride or humility, self or God. 
self or others. And he starts by addressing the younger people in verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Now, the elders here are the elders that he spoke about in verse 1. Do you see? These are the church elders. These are not just people who are older than you. These are church elders. And he's not just picking on young people here, but young people, they're the ones that are not experienced in life. They probably have more energy. They have, you know, with a lot of young people. I was once a young person. I remember I thought that I understood everything. Okay, I thought that these older people were dumb, you know, because, you know, I mean, why can't they sort the world out? This is how you sort the world out. You just, you know, young people have got the answers to everything. Unfortunately, you, you start to learn that those answers have been tried and they don't work. Or that the reason they don't work is because people are just like you. And because people are not like people should be, things are not as simple as they would be otherwise. So he speaks to the younger people, the younger people in the churches, and says, submit yourselves to your elders. Uh, This doesn't mean that, again, in, in none of these situations does it mean that you submit subserviently in every single situation so that you don't have a thought of your own. And you certainly don't submit when you're being told to sin. Not in any situation. Um, But it does mean that you have a respect, a regard for your elders, for your pastors. And then he continues and says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. So it is important, I think, that, that because Peter addresses it, that I talk very briefly about this idea uh, that's in the Bible about respecting your pastors, respecting your elders. Why are you to respect them? Well, you, you're not to respect them because they're any better than you are. Okay? Because somehow they've, uh, they've reached some superior um, level of spirituality that you'll never reach. Okay? Not true. That isn't the reason given. Hopefully, they are spiritual. Hopefully, they are experienced and they are, uh, you know, true to God. But that's not the reason. The reason is that God has called them into this ministry and they answer to God. This is why it's so important to choose your pastors carefully. The main job, as we saw before, of pastors is to teach, to feed the church of God. Okay? To make sure that the truth of God is coming to your ears. So that you can hear what God says. The job of the pastor, therefore, is not to please people. And I don't think any of you would accuse me of being a people pleaser. 
You submit to your elders and you pray for them. You help them because they have to make decisions. You help them because they have to deal with people, sometimes difficult people, and certainly difficult problems. They have to make decisions uh, about a number of things, and they have to do it week on, week out, week in, week out. So don't make their tasks any more difficult than it has to be. You see, one of the th- things about a church is that you guys aren't paid to come here. You can choose not to come here. You can choose to sit under somebody else. <clears throat> and if I start preaching a load of rubbish, you should go and sit under somebody else. But that means that because I'm paid by you, that there might sometimes be a tendency when things don't seem to be going too well for me to compromise, to please you. So you'll stay seated in front of me, do you see? And a lot of pastors compromise. I understand the pressure to do that, okay? Because this is not the best paying job in the world anyway. And I'm not complaining about that. But it's not, you know, when you, when you want to be a pastor, you have to take the things that come with being a pastor. And that's fine. But it also means that there is this constant pressure, both from um, within yourself, because you feel like a failure, and the devil, who's telling you that you are a failure, or if things are going well, that you're, oh, how wonderful, you know. You are. You must be a tremendous man of God because all of these things are going well. And then, you know, things that you hear from the congregation. So there is this, uh, this pressure that comes. And I think it's increased in the last generation or so because people have not understood that they must respect their elders and pray for their pastors. So that's what Peter is referring to here. But then he goes on and says, be submissive to one another. To be submissive to one another means that you're putting them first. And we'll get back to this. But you're putting them first. That means you don't have to have things your way. Okay? There probably is another way. There's probably another two or three different ways of doing things. It doesn't have to be your way. And even if the way that is chosen, you see some problems with it, doesn't mean it's going to fail. So you be submissive to one another. And then he says, be clothed with humility. Well, clothes are something that you put on. Clothes are something that you don't have in and of yourself. You have to actually avail yourselves of them. And it's the same with humility. <clears throat> you don't have it. Neither do I. And if you think, well, actually, I, I'm, I have a lot of humility. I'm a very humble person. Okay? Then doubly you don't have it. Okay? Because that's pride talking. 
So we have to avail ourselves of this, this approach to God and approach to others which puts ourselves deliberately in the back seat. We're not even allowed to sit in the front seat, the passenger seat there. That's not for us, that's for other people. And that's difficult to do. And sometimes we may do that, we may do that successfully, and and God bless you when you do that. But then we find ourselves, you know, wanting our rights, thinking that we should sit in the front, thinking that we should have our hands on the steering wheel, thinking that we know better. Because where's God anyway, do you see? We can be like that. We forget that he's the creator of the universe, and he's running the universe. We forget that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. We forget that history is running according to his timetable, and our lives are in his hand. So are our deaths, by the way. And we forget that there are things that about us that are on God's mind that he wants us to do in uh, connection with his word that maybe we're not doing. All of this requires that we stop our way of thinking independently, because that's what it is, and we repair to the word of God and we see what we ought to be doing. What does the word of God tell us we should be doing? Well, we should be submitting ourselves to his word. We should be not giving a place to the devil. We should uh, make sure that if there's sin in our lives, that we're trying to deal with it and confessing it to God, confessing it to others if we've harmed others with our wrongdoing. That we should not want our way. What's our way anyway? Why does it have to be our way? It doesn't have to be our way. I mean, if we never existed, things would go on perfectly well. The sky's not going to fall in just because we don't have our way. So we are to be submissive. That means to put ourselves under, lower ourselves, so that we are lower than the people that we are dealing with. And clothe ourselves with this attitude, this attitude of humility. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount calls it being poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit. The idea is that you don't think that you're much. Okay? You don't think that you amount to much. Now, this is not self-pity. Don't get me wrong here. This is not self-pity because that's pride. That's just pride coming in in another guise. Yes, I, I, I again. So I don't mean it in that way. It's just you don't compare yourselves to other people. You compare yourselves to Jesus Christ. You compare yourselves with the righteousness of God. You compare yourselves with the grace of God that it took to save you. And the grace of God that it takes to put up with you and take you to heaven anyway. That's what you do. And 
in that context, you see you're poor in spirit. Oh, I don't, I've done nothing to deserve this. Okay? I'm not, a, uh, as a Christian of 20, 30 years, I'm not where I ought to be. I'm far away from what I should be. But God loves me anyway. Your, uh, your value is what God thinks of you. Your value is in Jesus Christ. And that value, by the way, is a very high value indeed. Son, daughter of God. An heir of God, of Christ. That's high. And it's given to you as a gift. You know, I should talk more about grace at some point. Uh, because it's such an important uh, doctrine. But uh, there are two basic ideas in the Bible about grace. Now, the word uh, grace is uh, charis in Greek. <clears throat> and uh, it comes, though, from a root that doesn't mean so much grace as gift. Gift. There's another Greek word for gift as well, which is doron, which is Dorothy, is the gift of God. That's what it means. Dorotheos. But gift is the idea of grace. Now, to understand grace as a gift in context of what this passage is trying to tell us about submitting to God... We need to understand how gifts were given and received in the ancient world. And you see it in different passages, particularly in the Old Testament. When a person gave a gift to somebody, there was, it was a free gift, but there, it was often a requirement or an obligation on the other person to do something. Okay? Because it, it, uh, the receipt of the gift also uh, communicated an agreement with that person, do you see? And for example, if, uh, if it was a gift of hospitality, you offered somebody hospitality and they gave you a gift for that, it was to be, it was kind of an agreement between you two that uh, you were on the same page, yes? As far as peace and harmony was concerned. So it is with God. Now, your salvation, if you have trusted in Jesus as your personal savior, your salvation is a gift of God. And it's given freely. And you didn't earn it and you can't earn it. It's a gift you receive. But there is this other aspect to it, this second aspect to grace, which is that it's uh, it implies that you are in some communion and in some agreement with the giver. And if you're in agreement with the giver, there's not disharmony between you and the giver. Do you see? So you will, as the giver is God, you will agree with God, you will want to be like God is. Does that make sense? 
So God has given you this gift of eternal life, and he wants you to use this gift in uh, accord with the reason it was given to you. That means you've got to put yourself to death. That means you've got to humble yourself. That means you've got to, you know, put your ambitions in second place behind what God may have for you and his providence may deal out to you. It means you need to put others first. Be clothed with humility. Why? Well, this is a quotation from Proverbs chapter 3. God resists the proud. Can you see that in verse 5? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So you get more grace. You get grace to be humble. You get grace to live as God wants you to live as you submit yourselves to God. And even as you submit yourselves to others. And you get it when you act. We'd like to have it before. Okay? Just give me the grace and then I'll humble myself. Doesn't work that way. God will do his part when we do ours. God's not going to give his gifts to a proud person. Do you see? You're not, your heart isn't right yet to receive the gift. Put your heart right and God will supply. God resists, you see, the proud. God doesn't like pride. God himself is not proud at all. He's humble. How on earth do you think that he condescended to send his son into the world? How on earth do you think the son would bear the humiliation of the incarnation? The humiliation of being born as a baby and being raised by human parents. And then, of course, the degradation of the cross. If he wasn't humble... How on earth would you think God would listen to your prayers if he wasn't humble? He is. He's a giving God. A God of grace. A God of compassion. A God who values you. And for all of those things, he has to look down. I mean, I don't mean look down upon you as being inferior. I mean to look down, to stoop in order to help you. So God and pride don't mix together. And if there's pride in us, and there is pride in us, then there's something we need to do about it. We need to humble ourselves. And we will find that God gives grace when he sees that humility. Because he responds to that humility. It's like him. It's like his son. It also involves, by the way, faith. Because very often in this world, it's not the person who puts themselves second or third that gets anywhere. It's normally the person that's self-promoting that gets somewhere, yes? But a person who's self-promoting has faith in themselves. A person who 
lets others go before themselves has faith in God and God's providence and God's provision. Because they're not seeking great things for themselves anyway. If God raises us up in this life, then that's his business. If he chooses not to, he'll do it in the next life. How do I know that? Look at verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Now, that time may be coming due to you after this life has ended. Is that okay? Your exaltation will be in eternity. Is that not more than okay? And so, we are to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves, it says, under the mighty hand of God. God's hand is mighty. It is powerful. It cannot be resisted. And yet, our response to that, you see, in putting others first and then God uh, above that, is to proclaim to God, show God our dependence upon him, our relative weakness, to follow him in faith, trusting that anything that he wants to do for us and in us, he can do because he has a mighty hand. And it's not about us. It doesn't say... Uh, humble yourselves and exert yourselves and help God along. It says humble yourselves and let God's hand provide for you. And he will respond to your humility by exalting you exalting you, but in the right time. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that God's watch doesn't work like your watch. Okay? So I've got uh, hours and minutes and so on, seconds on this watch. Uh, God has that too, but it's not on his watch. Or it doesn't seem to be anyway. His watch is like years for seconds. Yes? And you have to understand that his timetable and the way he does things and the way he wants you to go runs on his watch, not yours. Which means if you keep looking at your watch waiting for God to act and God to do something, you're going to get disappointed. Because he's God and you're not. He's eternal and you're finite. He knows when you're ready. He knows when he's going to use you. He knows when he's going to relieve you. He knows when he's going to help. He knows when you need to go through the hard time. Of course, you always call upon him during those times because he wants to hear from you. He doesn't want you to go it alone. That, that, there's no faith in that. 
He wants to sustain you and to support you. But God is the one who wants you to rely upon him and his mighty hand. That is Philip's advice to us. Pete, Philip, Peter. There isn't an epistle of Philip in the Bible as far as I know. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, uh, Paul hits upon uh, this attitude that we are supposed to have. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now this sometimes means that, you know, your interests, if they cut across somebody else's interests, you're going to have to put the other person's interests above yours. You're going to have to lose out, maybe. Rather than saying, oh, sorry, beat you to it. We need to have the kind of attitude that looks upon people and say, well, how are they doing? How are they affected by this? Um, how are, uh, how is this circumstance? It may not be related to you or not. Maybe it's an economic circumstance or maybe something that's happened to them in their lives. How does that affect them? How are they faring? And for that, we need what Paul calls lowliness of mind. That's that's important to understand, isn't it? Because um, what is the Bible? What's another word that the Bible uses to describe a proud person? A proud person is what? High-minded. High-minded. We are to be low-minded, Peter says. Now we do this, and there's an order to this, we do this first in response to God. That must always be the way then in response to others. We don't put others before God. We won't be humble if we do it that way, by the way. We have to always have God in our minds, and then we will be right and prepared to humble ourselves, to think about others and to put ourselves in our proper place. It does mean, as it will mean in this world, that sometimes we won't get what we want. And things won't go the way that we want them to go. And that needs to be okay. It will be okay with you if you're humble. It won't be okay with you if you're proud. It's the litmus test, isn't it? How do you respond to these things? How do you react? Your responses, your reactions to things show what person you really are. And so by starting here, by talking about respect, young ones respecting elders and then all of us should be submissive to one another, 
He goes on and speaks about God's attitude towards the proud, God's attitudes towards the humble, and that therefore we should humble ourselves because God's hand is mighty and God's response to us will come in God's time. And so finally, we come to verse 7 and Peter's words of consolation because he understands that we may miss out by humbling ourselves. In this world, you know, you, you miss out on a lot by not forcing yourself to the front, by not being the loudmouth, by not being the person that clamors things and catches the person's attention or whatever it might be. You will miss out. Well, he says this, you cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. This idea of casting here, what what does it mean to cast? To cast a net, what are you going to do? No, you, you have to get some welly behind it. You have to get hold of the thing and throw the thing with all your mites, yes? The idea is to put all of your effort into not worrying, not being concerned about what's going to happen. Put all of your effort into throwing all of those anxieties and worries upon God. Put your effort into that. And you're not supposed to... As in a dragnet, you'd keep hold of part of it, wouldn't you? So it wouldn't go floating off. But you're not supposed to do that with your worries. You let go. Sorry. You let go of the rope. You don't drag it back again. And if you find when you look back that you're still worrying about stuff, well, then you've still, you haven't, Finish your work, have you? You've got work to do. You've still got some troubles and some concerns to throw upon God. God has a mighty hand. You notice the context. God cares for you. So someone who has a mighty hand who cares for you and who wants to bear all your burdens, hey, you're good. You're in a better position than you realize. Because he's willing to take those concerns. He's willing to give you the grace and the strength to go through whatever you need to go through. And you don't need to worry about it. You cast all your cares upon him. All of it. And remember, First Peter is an epistle that's written to people who are undergoing persecution. In real time. And so, the prospect of more persecution is also to be thrown upon the shoulders of God. And he will bear us up. Why? Because he cares. You understand that God cares for you. This is the, 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 the bottom 
and the most fundamental truth to this passage. God cares for you. He's concerned about you. He thinks about you. But God is God. And God wants you and I to depend upon him. If we fail to depend upon him, what's, what is it in us that's stopping us depending on him? What is it? What's the word? It's pride. It's pride. Whether it's, you know, thinking too much of ourselves or thinking too little of ourselves, whatever it may be, it's I trouble again. It's I can cope. I don't need to give this to God. Or maybe it's he's not, he's not going to be interested in this. Well, he is. What does he just say here? He is. He will take it. He will take your burden. He doesn't want you to worry. He doesn't want you to be anxious. You take all of these things, but you have to humble yourself first, you see. A humble person will find it very easy to throw their cares upon God and say, I can't do this, I can't cope, but I know that you can. I know that you've got this. I know that your providence, I'm not sure how it's going to sort itself out, but I don't need to know. You know. That's good enough for me. And you do it and you keep doing it. You keep doing it because he beckons you to keep doing it. And you will find that you have peace. You will find that in this life of humility, this choice between pride and humility, that God comes through for you. God is pleased with you. Because you're more, much more like him when you humble yourself than when you say, I this, I can't do this, I can't cope with this. I trouble is, I trouble because it's not given to God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us all to learn this lesson, because we all need to learn it, me most of all, that we need to humble ourselves. We need to trust you, depend on you. We need to uh, self-consciously, daily, lower ourselves in our own estimation and put you on the throne, put you first. Father, we don't have the right eyes to see other people when... Uh, we are putting ourselves first. We don't see them as we should see them. We certainly don't see you as we ought to see you. So forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our independence and that spirit. Now help us, Lord, to throw all of our cares upon you, understanding that you care for us, understanding that your, your powerful right hand will see us through. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.